Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 21, you know that we're in this series, rather long series, and this is going to conclude it, this is going to be the end of it, um, where we're looking at kingdom concepts, where we're looking at stories and teachings, incidents that happened in Jesus' life in the gospel of Matthew that all pertain to the kingdom. You're going to find that word king or kingdom in each of these. Uh, and we're going to conclude that today with this little story in Matthew 21, uh, starting in verse 28. What do you think, Jesus said? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. When the father went to the other son and said the same thing, he answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Interesting. Notice the, the whole story starts out with Jesus asking the question, what do you think? Or maybe a better way to translate that would be, how do you think? Because Jesus is exploring their thought process, their thought patterns. In other words, he wants to know what their worldview is. A worldview is simply the way you see the world around you. It's the filter that you look through, the lenses that you look through as you look at the world around you. In our country, politically, we have Republicans and we have Democrats. They both have a strategy that they think is a better way to run the country. I align myself with one of those two. So do you. It's our worldview. We see everything, the economy, uh, everything. <coughs> Immigration, we see everything through those lenses that have been set for us. There's a way to look at things. In the, uh, if you study languages, you recognize the term paradigm. A paradigm is a, a pattern. I after E, except after C. You know, we learned that. That's a paradigm. It always works. That's how our English language works. All foreign languages also have paradigms. And it's simply the pattern, the pattern that you follow. We all work within patterns that have been set for us, either set by the church that we were raised in, set a certain worldview, or school set a certain worldview for us. They're patterns that we follow. So our mind works in this pattern that's been established. And Jesus is coming along saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He's redirecting the pattern. He wants to change their thought processes. What do you think? 
He's trying to uh, speak to the way they think. Before I was in ministry, I worked at a machine shop where we had uh, what we called a jig set up. And I would take an iron casting and I would put it in there and I would hit the button and it would do the same thing over and over and over again. Now they do that in industry with robotics. They got these different things that are, that are kind of robotically programmed by a computer. Once you set it, it will do the same thing over and over and over again. We do that. Our minds are programmed to do things a certain way. And Jesus is coming along saying, I want to turn that upside down. I want to change the way you think. Change your worldview. Change your pattern. Change your paradigm. So I want to share here uh, some things we learn about repentance because it's obvious the story is about repentance. It's about the son that said no and then changed his mind, which is what the word repent means. Repent, change your mind. That's what it means. There's a difference between changing your behavior and changing your mind. Now I can pick up a club and follow you around and make sure you change your behavior. But if I don't want to have to keep following you around with the club, I need to change the way you think so that you will think differently. And then I don't have to keep that club handy. You make your own decisions because your mind's been changed. That's the repentance that Jesus is talking about in this story. Now, I want to share six things about repentance that we can draw from this story. But first, just two things I want us to see. Number one, both sons disappointed the father. The son that said no disappointed his father. And then he changed his mind and went and did it. And the one that said, yes, sir, I'm on my way, but didn't go, he disappointed the father. Both sons disappointed the father. And the second thing I want us to see is that neither one of them got rejected. Neither one of them got rejected. He wanted both of them to go work in a field, but he didn't disown them because they didn't. And God's not going to disown you because you're not living in your destiny. Okay, here's the first thing about repentance I want us to see. Repentance is accepting your father's heart. We need to discover what is the heart of Father God. And in our story, we see that the heart of Father God is the vineyard. Go work in my vineyard. My vineyard needs a caretaker. My vineyard needs people who care about the vineyard. This is what the the father's heart is. But as typical, he's got a son that doesn't really care about his father's business, cares about his business. I don't know about you, but I was years living that way. Didn't care about father's business. Let somebody else do that. Until the Lord got a hold of me. Changed my direction. See, I was one of those sons that said no and walked the wrong way. And then God changed my mind. I didn't change my mind because I wouldn't. I didn't know how. It was God that changed my mind. And God will change yours. And if you're receptive, God will continue to change your mind. And there's no end to it. He keeps teaching me things I didn't know before, so it changes my thought process, my patterns, my paradigms. So repentance is finding out what the Father's will is 
and buying into it, embracing it, accepting the Father's heart. The Father made his will very clear. Go. Work. Today. In my vineyard. Made it very clear. Neither son didn't understand what the father was encouraging them to do. And quite frankly, nobody in this room can ever stand before God and say, God, I didn't understand what you wanted me to do. He's going to show you, and it has to do with working in the vineyard. Not your vineyard, his vineyard. Finding out what his heart is. And notice, the father's not too picky about who goes to work in the vineyard. The son that says no, and then changed his mind and said yes, and the one that said yes and changed his mind and didn't do it. He doesn't care. He wants everybody working in the vineyard. He wants everybody a part of the harvest. Now notice the two characters he uses, uh, object lessons. He picks out two occupational groups in the culture that are at the bottom of society. The first is the tax collector. King James Version calls it the publican. He's a parasite. He doesn't produce anything. He goes out and lives off what other people produce. He collects taxes and gets a commission, usually a commission he set by himself. He makes up his own mind what his commission's going to be. Anybody who has a job like that ends up with temptation of greed all the time. A little bit more this time, a little bit more, makes sense to me. I'm working hard at this. And then the other occupations, the prostitutes. We'll all understand what that occupation is. These are parasites as well. They live off other people and what other people produce. They compromise their values. Both of these two occupational groups were at the bottom of the social status. Good, honorable Jews would have rejected them anytime. But Jesus just said, I'll tell you that the prostitutes and the tax collectors are getting in ahead of you. Now that made everybody scratch their heads. That's just one of those out-of-the-box things. Who would have thought of that? What's he talking about anyway? Prostitutes and tax collectors ahead of me? And who he's addressing, if you look up just a few verses are the chief priests and the scribes, the people that knew the Mosaic law, the people who led everybody else in worship. And he says it's the publicans and the tax collectors that are going to get moved ahead of them. Wow. Repentance, and God loves repentance. He cherishes repentance. It's when we change our mind about the Father's vineyard and are working in it. Here's the second thing we learn about repentance. Repentance is altering your mind, changing your mind. Actually, that's what the word repent means in the Greek. It's to change the mind. There's a difference between changing your behavior and changing the way you think. So Jesus is talking about repentance here when he starts the whole story and say, say what do you think? Change the way you think. Change your paradigm. Change your pattern. Look at the world through different lenses. 
Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus talked about two builders who went out to build houses. And one of them built a house with its foundation on a rock. And the other one built the same kind of house, but under, under the house was sand. Both houses looked the same. Both houses functioned the same. But then a storm came up. And the rains came down, and the waters came up, and a flood came across both houses. And wouldn't you know it, the one that was anchored to the rock, the water just went around. But the one that was built on the sand, the sand shifted when the waters, when the force of the waters came through and the winds blew. And that house collapsed because it didn't have a foundation. Here he's given us two options. Another place he talks about two gates, two ways uh, to, to get to where you're going. One is a broad way. The gate's real wide. Lots of people go down that one. But the other is a narrow way, a narrow gate. And Jesus said, few people get through that one. So we got two choices. Most likely is let's, let's go with the crowd. That's probably the safe route, right? Go the way everybody else is going. Just get in the flow. But it, the end leads to destruction. It's the narrow gate that leads to life. So I'm going through the narrow gate. I'm going through the, the gate that's got a lot of resistance. That's not quite so wide. Do you understand what a facade is? A facade, it's, it's another form of the word face. It means the front, the front. Now, I, I, I found this interesting since I heard this. I've, I've kind of paid attention and I found it to be true. If you go into a town like Auburn, for example, if you're going there maybe for lunch, just, just check this out. Look at the face, the facade, the front of the building. Notice how it's designed. Notice the material they use to build it. And then take a walk around and look at the side. Well, that's just cinder block. They don't build the front of the building with cinder block. No, they use fancy bricks and limestone and decoration. But the rest of the building is just a building. That's a false front, a facade. And the danger in Christianity is that we Christians walk around with a facade, a false front that represents what we want people to see, but it doesn't represent what we really are. And so if a young lady gets pregnant and she's not married, the people in the church are the last ones she wants to know about that. Because she expects everybody in the church is so perfect, they will surely look down on her. If a family, a couple, their marriage collapses, they've gone through a divorce, the pastor is the last person they want to know about that. They want to hide what's real. And that's not the way church should be. We should be a place where we let people grow. We encourage people to grow. We should be a place where it's okay when somebody comes in and says, I don't know if I believe that about the Bible. Okay, it's your spiritual journey. 
We don't boot them out the door. We don't condemn them. We allow people to grow. I remember in, in, in my early days, I remember thinking communism was the way to go. And I remember looking at all the ideals of communism and going back home to mom and dad and telling them what a wonderful thing communism was. I'm surprised my dad didn't just kick me right out of the house. But he didn't. He just listened to me. It was a part of a journey, a process, a mental change I had to go through. I had to repent and come up with a whole new way of looking at life. And I was in the process. And everybody growing goes through those growing pains. So I think we, we Christians, we've got to quit being so quick to judge people with their wacky ideas. And we live in a world where there's many wacky ideas out there. Let's not judge people and shoot them down because they got a wacky idea like we used to have. Let's help them on their spiritual journey. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's number three, the third thing about repentance. Repentance requires acknowledgement of sin. I can't turn from some bad thing. I can't turn away from it if I don't own that it was a bad thing. The way I'm looking at things, the way I've been doing things, the way I've been handling this, this is not God's will. God's got a different plan. I have to acknowledge and take ownership of the fact that I've been blowing it or there won't be any repentance. Here's, uh, here's the opposite of confessing your sin. By, the Bible says confess your sins. If you confess your sins, God is faithful to forgive us all our sins. But I've got to confess it. I've got to own it. The opposite of owning it and confessing it is to say, well, it wasn't my fault. I'm the victim here. Or to say, you have no idea how rough my life's been, as if that's an excuse. How many of us are going to stand before God on judgment day and say, Lord, you have no idea how rough my life's been, and think that's going to give us a pass? I don't think so. I've got responsibilities. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the prophet says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. God wants to come along and teach us new rules, rules of the kingdom, rules of the spirit, on how to be successful in life, how to be an overcomer, the things that we have in life. Here's the fourth lesson we learn from her story. Repentance and belief are allies. They're partners. They run parallel. They're different. There's a big difference between believing and repentance. Repentance means I change the way I think, not the way I behave. But if I change the way I think, then it will naturally change my behavior. I don't want to do the things that hurt me anymore. You know, every kid has to learn that. 
You know, I, I want to play in the fire like daddy. I want to play in the fire. Well, you can say no, 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 but the only thing that teaches them is when they grab a hold of a hot stick. Now they've learned their lesson. They've changed the mind. I want to give you three reasons why we should repent, why we should change the way we think. And, and I guess I need to say this and so that everybody's going with me. To change the mind isn't just saying, I'm not going to rob the bank anymore. I'm, I'm not, not going to kill anybody anymore. That's not the repentance I'm talking about. It's the fact that I'm not going to be jealous anymore. That's a mindset change. I'm not going to be vindictive anymore. I'm not going to be hateful for, towards somebody that's not quite like me anymore. It's a change the mind. We should repent, number one, because of his conviction. Father God, the Father, the one that owns the vineyard, Father convicts us. Be careful with this. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is when we pass judgment and carry out and we, we execute judgment towards somebody. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit whispers down deep in our heart and says, don't do that. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to see that you didn't see before. That's seeing the Father's will. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is my job to listen to the Holy Spirit. It is my responsibility to find out what His will is. And that may mean I've got to put my cell phone down and read the Bible a little bit to see what He's saying to me in the Word. Here's a second reason we should repent. Because of His compassion. We discover what the Father is passionate about. He's passionate about something. In the story, he's passionate about his vineyard. That's what he's passionate about. And we need to discover what God's passionate about and then let that become our passion. Because if I'm doing the Father's will, God is surely going to help me along so that I can keep doing his will. Amen. In other words, the, the son who said, no, I'm not going to go work in your vineyard has to take a look at the vineyard and see it's decaying without his help. Sometimes I just like to get in my car and drive slowly through town, not Main Street, side streets, and look at the residences, look at where people live, look at how they live, and pray. And God will show me the hurting families. You can just feel a cloud of darkness over one residence or sometimes a whole neighborhood. You just feel an, an oppression. There's, there's problems here. And I pray for him as God shows me what he wants. Sometimes we need to look at his field, get out of our own pity party and look at what somebody else is going through. Now I have something to give. Now I can begin to invest in their lives. So it's because of his conviction, because of his compassion. And thirdly, maybe we need to repent because of his compensation. Did you know the Lord wants to compensate us for our service? 
He rewards us when we serve him. Oh, it may not be a paycheck, but it may be a happy marriage. It may be spiritual breakthroughs with your family. It's the principle of rewards. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's the reaping and sowing principle. What I give away is what comes back to me. If I keep it to myself, then I've got my reward. But if I give it away, God gives more. It's an ongoing blessing that he pours into our life. Revelation 22, chapter 22, verse 12 says this. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. Look, he said, I'm coming soon. He doesn't say, I just got here. He says, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. In other words, the reward for faithfulness he brings when he comes back again. So quit griping and complaining because you don't see any reward in your life today. The reward is stored up. It's a treasure in heaven where nobody can steal. It doesn't rust. Moths don't eat it. He's going to bring his reward. That's number four. Here's number five. The fifth thing we learn about repentance. Repentance demands a change of action. What would it look like if I changed my mind by understanding that when I when I unload my emotions on worship to God, something happens in the spirit and demons have to flee. So my expression of worship when we're singing in church on Sunday allows power, clouds of demons to move out of this room and set someone else free. Did you ever think about that? What if we thought about that and we decided to repent and, and next time I'm just not going to sing a song. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to put my emotions behind it. I'm going to put my heart and soul into it and watch and see what God does in someone else. That, that's, that's a change of mind that motivates my actions because I believe that happens in the spirit. Feeling shame and guilt because of my sin isn't repentance. Changing my behavior is repentance. And I'm only going to change my behavior if my mind says that's worth it to me. That's going to benefit me. So he says very clearly, go work today in my vineyard. That's the father's will. And this son that said no there's something about him. He couldn't get away from the Father's will. He couldn't shake it. Something was going on inside of him that he couldn't get away from it. Oh, we can, we can run away from church, but if I keep a relationship with God, I can't run away from him. He's going to follow me. Somebody called the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. You can't get away from him. He'll sniff you out. And he couldn't get away from his father's will. He had to go back and do it. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. Sanctify means to set us apart. I'm not going with the flow through the Broadway anymore. 
He sets me apart when I make a decision for Christ. When you say, yes, Lord, I'll serve you, he sets you apart. So I can just see a young son saying to the father, I can't go work in the vineyard. I don't have enough experience. Let those older folks that have experience now, they know, they know how to cast out demons. They know how to pray. Let them, let them go do it. And I can see older sons saying, well, I, 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 I did that when I was younger, but I'm old. I'm tired. Let these young whippersnappers, let them go with it. They got all this energy. And the end result is nobody goes. Nobody's working in the field. And the field dries up because of lack of laborers. Ecclesiastes chapter 18 verse 21 says this about repentance. But if a wicked person, and we're talking about God's perception, not ours, but if a wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live. They will not die. Notice it requires a turning away from sin and keeping all the, all the decrees and commandments God's given us. We have to turn away from this lifestyle and embrace that one if you want to live. It's a change. It's a change the way we think. Here's number six, the last one. Observe that repentance advances us to the front of the line. Even if we're greedy tax collectors and compromising prostitutes. He's not concerned about our past. He's concerned about our future. He's concerned about where we're going to go. He's concerned about where, what our future what our um, target is in the front of our life. He says, they get there before you good guys. Because God loves repentance. He loves to see people that change. So once I understood that concept, I could see how God would, I, I, I kind of think I've, I'm pretty well matured. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I, I kind of feel like I, I stand pretty good compared to you. I kind of think that. I mean, don't we kind of think that? I kind of think that. And every now and then, God will show me something in the Word that just humbles me. Uh, I'm not there. I'm surely not there yet. Because God wants me to change my mind, not walk in pride and think I've arrived keeps teaching me, keeps showing me, keeps advancing me. So, who benefits from the vineyard any more than the son who inherits it? You're a joint heir with Christ, right? You're going to inherit the kingdom. A joint heir with Christ. Now, what kind of kingdom do we want to inherit? I think I need to do some investing. I think I need to put something into it. You know, in, um, I have on my phone uh, a map system, and I can, I can tell it where I want to go, and it kicks into GPS, and GPS tells me where to turn and where to go and, and all of this. And uh, 
I noticed that sometimes I'll turn off my route to go get gas or stop, stop at McDonald's or something. And the GPS lady talks to me. <laughs> turn around, she'll say. Turn around. Turn around when possible. Now, eventually, she'll reroute me. You know what I mean? Anybody been rerouted? She'll reroute me. I need to listen, because the GPS knows what she's talking about. I think I do, but she knows. And she's trying to get me to my destination. Well, I want to take a little detour here. Pit stop. She's trying to get me back on target. That's what God does with us. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit rerouting us, pointing us in the right direction. Can we stand together? God values repentance. He so much wants to see you and I repent and change our minds so he can live through us. Pastor David's going to lead us in a little course here. And while he's doing that, if, God, if the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about some area of your life that where you need to change, you need to repent, maybe it'd be good for you to come down to this altar while we're singing and just let God do a renewal work in you because that's what pleases the Father. And I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The cross, cross before me.
made yourself real to us. To those of us who said yes right off the bat. We've been raised in church. We've heard all these values. We've done our best to follow them. And those of us that said no and we walked, we walked away from you and you had to you had to bring us back. You had to do a work in us. We want to thank you for that redemption. And then that you've placed us together to work side by side in the kingdom of God, to encourage each other, to motivate one another, to continue to be the people that you've called us to be on this earth generation after generation. So Lord, let us, let us allow us to let our light shine in a way that other people can see it, to be an attraction so that people will want to come to you and experience the grace that we've experienced. So God, keep working through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Remember, when we walk out of these doors, we're not leaving church. We are the church. We export the church to the people out there in your, work, in your neighborhood and the workplace. Amen. Let's go do that. Let's go labor in the kingdom today. Go with God. He loves you. I'm going to be down in the after party.